This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number 45, George Koontz. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Jim Thompson, founder and CEO of Positive Coaching Alliance, talks with current UC Irvine head coach and technical director and director of coaches education for the Hawaii Youth Soccer Association, George Kuntz. It's amazing um, what parents can do to influence um, kids. And those life lessons that she taught me about pursuing, never giving up, never stopping, never, never you know, letting anybody get you down, never let anyone tell you you cannot do something, it, or, it is why I'm here today. George provides tips to parents who are coaching their own children or cheering from the sidelines. He also shares his personal experiences coaching at different levels, the importance of a parent's role in developing youth athletes, and what he thinks makes a great leader on the soccer field. George, I want to start off by introducing you to our responsible sports audience. George Kuntz has served as a head coach of men's and women's soccer for NAIA and NCAA colleges for more than 25 years. In nearly two decades at the helm of the men's team at the University of California at Irvine, he has twice been named NSCAA Adidas Far West Region Coach of the Year. He has helped 10 players jump to Major League Soccer and has sent three to various U.S. national teams. In recent years, Georgia's UC Irvine Anteaters have been perennial Big West Conference contenders and often achieved national rankings. He came to UCI from Pepperdine, where he was the first women's soccer head coach. He began his collegiate coaching career at California Lutheran University in 1988, where he captured Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference titles in 1991, 92, and founded the women's soccer program. George has also focused much of his career on youth soccer. He directed the Olympic Development Program from 1992 to 1996, served as a technical director and director of coaches education for the Hawaii Youth Soccer Association for 10 years, filled a similar role for the California Youth Soccer Association South for eight years, and was a catalyst for mandatory licensing for youth soccer coaches in the United States. In May 2001, he was appointed the AYSO National Director of Player Development, Technical Advisor. Finally, George holds a United States Soccer Federation A license, National Youth License, and a National Soccer Coaches Association Advanced National Diploma. George, thanks for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Thank you for having me. You know, um, the, the word that comes to mind when, when I look at your background and, and all the responsibilities you have is multitasking. And um, the research shows that most of us are a lot worse at multitasking than they, we, they think they, we think we are. Um, tell me how you balance all the you know, college coaching, all the different things you do at once. How do you balance them? You know, that's, uh, that's the million-dollar question. <laughs> I, wish, uh, I wish I could be even better at, at, at many of the things I'm involved in. The first, the first uh, uh, way I've been able to do that is with the people that I'm involved with. All the organizations that I've been involved with 
have been very flexible, uh, have been tremendous in allowing me to really do what I do and stay involved in their organizations. And the key is really the timing of everything. Uh, the college season is really focused on the college season. I mean, that's when I really the the the, the majority of my time during during that time is with the college. And then the the other parts of the year, there is still many tasks and roles uh, with uh, the college program, but uh, is focused on coaching education. There's a lot of coaching education involved. It allows me to get out to the soccer coaching community and 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 do a variety of courses. So I'm basically involved with the grassroots. That's what I'm doing actually at this time on this trip. Uh, is working with coaches and better training for our youth, but they've they've uh, the the organizations have allowed me to to work quite a bit from home and advise quite a bit from home, review documents, and and so it allows me to to you know, the college is is my main job, the university, and the other organizations allow me to to review and and advise. In a variety of different ways that I don't have to be at the at a location, so th- that's how it's worked in in this in this scenario. But I, my my I have a love for education, and I think that my heart is there, and it also keeps me sharp. As far as uh, on the coaching edge, you want to stay sharp. You want the college season isn't a full year long, so you want to stay sharp on the coaching side, and allows me to stay involved in. Thinking the game, teaching the game, reviewing things in my mind, tactically and technically, that you need to, that we need to teach our our players. Do you, Do you have players uh, who have gone on to coach themselves? Oh, many, 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 many players are are coaching now that uh, have played at uh, universities that I've coached. Many, many, and and coaches and former coaches that really got their start in in college coaching that are coaching. Uh, Throughout Southern California, in Hawaii, uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of former players, and uh, actually throughout the country, they're you know I've been doing this quite a while, so a lot of a lot of former college players, and I highly encourage that. Um, I taught courses at when I was at a small college. You have to wear many hats there too, and so I was teaching five classes, coaching both teams, and we had two JV teams at the college, and I taught a. Um, one of the classes that I taught was a coaching, a coaching soccer class, and so a lot of those uh, coaches went on to get uh, their 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 youth licensing with the state association in California, and and are coaching currently. They're coaching either their kids or they're coaching at high school or they're coaching in club, coaching AYSO. They're coaching in one of the organizations, one of the youth organizations. Wow, that's got to be satisfying for you. Yes, yes, it's great to stay in touch with those. Those coaches, especially when they ask for advice, it, it's it makes my heart warm. What tips do you have uh, for parents who are coaching their own kids? You know, I know some <clears throat> some organizations, some parents uh, they say, you know, we don't we we want coaches who aren't parents. Um, but you know, probably eighty ninety percent of all the youth coaches in the country are parents. Uh, any tips for for uh, people coaching their own kids? Yes, just be there for them. Spend time with them. I think it's really important, and, and I've learned this as a parent. I wish that we could require everybody to be a parent before they coach, but we can't. <laughs> uh, I think it's um, 
very important that the parents are present and that outside of their practice times, they just go to a park and just bring a ball and play. And even if it's not a ball, just play. Talk the game. Take them to games. Uh, when I was a kid, my my father, born and raised in Mexico City, played professionally, took us to the World Cup in 1970. And before then, I wanted to be Roman Gabriel, who was a famous quarterback for the LA Rams. Oh, I remember when, And when I came back from Mexico, I was I was sitting in 1970 at the World Cup final, Italy-Brazil, and Italy lost 4-1 to Brazil. And Brazil, of course, had probably arguably one of the best Brazilian teams ever, which included Pelé. And so when I came back from that trip, I wanted to be Pelé. And, and it was because my father would take us to games, big events, um, and and the, 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 the sights, the sounds, the passion. You cannot create that by talking about it. You have to be, attend those games or see, see something like that. So just take them to things. Take them to games, whatever sporting event. It could be a local high school game, something inexpensive. Just get them involved in sports and it's a it's a very healthy thing to do and and just even if it's even if they have practice just staying a few minutes after and kicking the ball with them other than instead of rushing off and going to do another activity spend time with them make it make it make that practice day on tuesday or thursday or whatever days they practice afterwards that night to go out and have dinner with your child very important to find out what they're thinking and what they're doing and if they're enjoying it the the problems that they're having with it anything I think that from a from a from a parent's perspective, some of them have training and have played, and some of them haven't. I would suggest that parents go to coaching courses, and I think most organizations are requiring them now. But attend a coaching course, look online, prepare their, prepare something to assist with um, um, helping your child participate in that sport, whether it's learning about the skills involved or learning about the tactics, to try to help your child. Not try to teach them, not try to replace their coach, or if they are their coach on the team, yes, absolutely to help them tactically and technically. I think that that's a very, very big part of youth sports, is learning a little bit about what you're teaching and having enough knowledge to teach a skill. Maybe not to demonstrate if they cannot, but to to have the foresight to prepare a practice session, prepare a plan, so that the kids will learn more in that practice session. So that that's the the second part of that question is not only to have them play and enjoy the game, but to really learn more about the game so you can teach it better to your child. And I think that understanding what I've what I've found and this this is kind of I wish I would have learned this many many years ago, but would have come to find out through my own child is is and, and we've heard this before, but it, the reality of it when you when it's stares you right in the face is the play date you know your children like to have play with their friends yep. and it the, the experience is going to be better if you have play dates with your team and the players and players on the team so that you have friends on the team it's the same thing at school kids gravitate towards their friends and the the more friends they have the more comfortable they feel on that team or the more they're accepted and being accepted means playing together and so having dates uh, where the kids just go out and play or just have a pizza party or go to the park together and play something else or go to an event or have a beach day um, is tremendous. And the kids end up accepting 
the new players on the team that might be new to the team, and those players feel more comfortable. It's a better experience for everybody involved, and they play harder for each other. They really do. They really love to play more for each other. So those are other. Uh, that's another area that I think we've we've forgotten. We put these players on these teams, and we just make them very competitive. And it's not about the personal. It's about how can we win instead yeah. of making it a, a really great experience for all the players involved. Yeah, yeah. What about parents who aren't coaching on the sideline? Um, how can they best support their their kids? You know, one of the funniest things I heard recently from uh, a gentleman in Aliso Viejo who was speaking about refereeing and what he does with parents on the sideline that talk. He carries suckers during the games, and he hands them to, to parents that start talking to him to keep them busy so they won't talk to him during the game. What a great uh, idea. I think that if you, if, you, if you talk to kids, they get very nervous when parents keep shouting things on the sideline. So the parents need to be positive, obviously need to be very positive, constructive, uh, or don't really say anything at all, and then ask real positive questions at the end of practice, at the end of the game or the end of practice. Parents need to really let the coach coach, and I think that needs to be established uh, in a preseason meeting with the parents. And some parents, no matter what, are going to continue. All you have to do is drive any Saturday to a field anywhere in the country, and you're going to hear the parents. But the parents have to be continue to be um, informed that their role is to be a parent not to be a coach. Even cheerleading is it can be extreme, so it needs to be very positive, constructive, short, concise, good Johnny, or whatever it is for those kids because most of the time the kids will end up looking over at their parents when they hear them say something. And now it's a, it's a, it's a challenge for them because they, should, they want to listen to their parents and their coach, and it becomes very difficult for them. They can't focus. And so it becomes that um, soon it becomes that Peanuts uh, cartoon where you hear wah, 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 nothing. The kids will not, they'll tune the parents completely out. Uh-huh. And, and it becomes something that, that is, is a negative experience. The kids may want, obviously may not want to play anymore. Yep. So I think that's a, that's a, that's a big area. Uh, I don't know if it will ever stop completely, but I think coaches' role is to make sure that in their parent meeting at the beginning of the season – that they're clear on what's acceptable and what's not not acceptable from the sidelines. Yep, yep. No, that's that's great advice. <clears throat> you know, I, I liked what you said about ask positive questions. Um, we we talk about the the dreaded PGA, the post game analysis, where the where the I call it the spaghetti. I guess call it the spaghetti factor. Oh, say more about that. Well, it's it's after the game. You go to a restaurant and you're going to eat spaghetti or you're wherever you're going to go, and the parents start talking about the coach should have done this, coach should have done that. That analogy, you know, analyzing the game when they really should not be analyzing at all. How much playing time? Um, who did this? Who was doing that? Who was saying this? It's really that's not where they need to go with it. It's did you have fun? What could what did you do well? I thought you did this well. What do you think you could have done better? What was frustrating? You know, just let them get all that off their chest if they want. If they don't want to talk about it, talk about something else. Yeah. You know, um, George, you've coached uh, from the youth level all the way through ODP and college level. Um, what What are the, the challenges and opportunities for coaches at each, at each of those levels? Youth sports, you know, the ODP where you get the, the, the best uh, young, young players and then at the college level. 
you know that's a really good that's a very good question um at the youth level i think that um the biggest challenge is having knowledge of how to uh coach age appropriately um to run a session that is not over children's head that's not going to alienate them from the sport um that is uh, ball focused skill focused technical focused versus fitness um endurance strength focused and so there's a lot of coaches that are all are about that and then just uh remaining positive understanding that and 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 teaching kids even though they are going to be competitive and they are going to know who won or who lost teaching them that the wins are not important at the youth at that age they may that day they may seem important for the child but but there will be many more games so i think the challenge is just planning and preparing and making sure they have they're teaching the kids the right things at the younger age groups and i see many parents not teaching kids the right things in 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 those age groups where there's a lot of lines a lot of kids standing around instead of inclusion there are exclusion games where if you get if you get the ball stolen from you then you're out of the game well generally who gets the ball stolen from them it's usually the least experienced player so they get less experience and they they never they they don't gain or they don't get better so sport activities that include players versus exclude players incorporate the ball as much as possible so they get many many touches and then teaching good technique not just getting touches on the ball but quality technical touches at that age that's the most important um aspect of our sport at a very young age is just the the training and the and the ball mastery at a very young young age when kids get to the ODP level or if they get, if they get to a competitive level in high school um then then now they're they're competing for a spot and they're learning about maintaining their game they're uh, they're learning about spending an enormous investment of time on their own to become better their own investment time investment to become better it's like that that one commercial it's what you do when nobody else is watching and it's really important going out and visualizing training pushing themselves uh so that they can compete and watching more learning more uh from the, about the game uh through media and um and 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 learning a little bit more that about that edge what's going to separate me from somebody else what what are my qualities and how can that those qualities that i have offset what i'm competing against and then and then just dealing so the coaches at that level are really coaching the elite player um in high school uh in um in ODP and those players want specific information now they want information that's going to get them better right now. Uh at the youth level, usually general, a little bit more general, but at at that age level, they really want to know, hey coach, how am I doing? What do I need to do to get there? And coaches need to be prepared for that. Prepared to not only train it, but advise, give them, consult with them, give them a plan and and then execute run sessions that are going to be challenging and really push those kids to the point where they're competing. every time they play and learning about competition there will be kids that make it and don't make it and that's part of life but at that age that's part of um, part of the training is understanding how to have that edge and if and if and if you're not successful 
how to keep competing. And Michael Jordan, you know, got cut from his high school team. You can get there's tons and tons of stories out there that players were motivated to go back and 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 just try even harder. And I think a lot of that has to do with coaching and training and people somebody people around them saying, "Hey, this is what you have to do. Here's the, here's the avenues you can take. Here's the two. Here's your crossroads now." Which path are you going to take? And those and, and encouraging them to take the right path to keep pursuing their sport. And then at the college level, it's it's very competitive as well. I mean, there's how many millions of players playing soccer in the United States uh, under the age of 18, and and maybe what between three and six thousand, three and five thousand players playing Division One soccer. <laughs> so the the opportunity. And and really, it's a it's a transition about of, of about a thousand players every year. So, to be one of those one thousand players that plays Division One every year, it's very competitive. To not only get into a college, but to make a team and to travel with a team, and to start on a Division One college team. So that's a whole other animal. And, um, and 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 players that have been the big fish come to college and they cannot bring one letter jacket. They cannot bring one trophy. And for, for coaches, that's sometimes it's managing egos. It's, it's really working with those kids to kind of tone them down, understand, and it's part of the responsibility of the teammates, understanding the sport, um, the competitiveness of that sport and understand taking, eating a little humble pie and, and uh, now competing with players that are sometimes four years older than them. And, that are men that have had strength and conditioning training now and and uh, are, are much wiser and, and have played at a very high level of speed, speed of thought, speed of play. And so, so coaching is is and, and the kids are very sharp. So the practices have to be crisp, demanding, um, challenging, uh, informative because you have less of a season, and and players have to be able to grasp that information and apply it very quickly, so that they can play the next weekend against another division one opponent but it is a lot of you're really managing uh you're managing much more as well at the college level wow that's a very thorough um and insightful answer to that question thank you george um we, we talk about responsible coaches having two goals you know you're striving to win on a scoreboard and you're also teaching life lessons um what what um what comes to mind from your experience with that idea of winning and life lessons? Well, so much. I mean, really, the reason I'm involved in sports is I believe my parents. Uh, my mom was not really the sports person, but she was the one that, that would give me books on visualization at a time where I had no idea what visualization was. Wow, and she was ahead of herself. constantly gave me uh, clippings from newspapers about successful people, people that overcame things. And I, and I, I, she started giving me these clips years and years ago when I was in high school. And she still to this day sends me books and clips. <laughs> it's amazing um, what parents can do to influence um, kids. And those life lessons that she taught me about pursuing, never giving up, never stopping, never, never you know, letting anybody get you down, never let anyone tell you you cannot do something. It are, is why I'm here today. I mean, driving out from Arizona to California in a truck and sleeping in the back of my truck for a year and coaching college soccer, um, people thought I was nuts. And and it was a very part-time job. But I pursued it, and I, a lot of it I attribute to my parents. On my father's side, 
he was he was the player. He played professionally, and he got us involved. And he was very involved with all the kids that I played with. And he was the kind of the Pied Piper. He spoke Spanish, speaks Spanish, and would go into the government-owned housing in our area, which we called the Vario. And um, he would basically the parents trusted him because he was a doctor, and he took care of those families when they didn't when they didn't have help. He took care of a lot of those families, and so. Um, I grew up watching him help people that needed to be helped in depressed areas. And I grew up with those guys as being my friends. And to this day, my best friend is from that area. We still stay in contact weekly. And he taught us to be humble, to treat the uh, groundskeeper as you would treat the chancellor or the president of the university. You treat everybody the same. And I think those values have translated, carried over in my life and, and those are just a few of huh, hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, thousands of things that I've learned. And I know that we all learn from sports and from our parents and, and our coaches and the people around, even people that are not directly involved with you. They could be an administrator that sees something in you uh, or a teacher. Those people are so, at this day and age, even what's going on, this craziness in our world, we're finding how valuable those people are in our lives, very valuable in children's lives and have impacted us in how we live. Wow, that's great. Um, let, let's talk about some of your players, uh, either current or past players who have been really um, effective leaders. What what do they do and say, uh, do or say that causes them to be leaders on a team? Well, a lot of it is, is their actions. I mean, I think that we've learned that people can want to be leaders, but they they don't act like leaders. And so it's what you do daily. It's showing up daily. Uh, basically, I say punching in and punching out, doing what you're supposed to be doing when you're on the field, when you're off the field, doing what you're supposed to be doing, and other people will see that. Players respect that over a period of time. Secondly is what you, how you say things to other players. I think players gain respect if they push people, but they're able to push people in the right way, say the right things, for, you know, not, not chewing out somebody, not cursing at people, um, making sure that they say positive things to people or constructive things to people at the right moments, um, and not, not necessarily in front of everybody else. So and then picking picking somebody up when they're down, understanding when somebody's down or has just been either chewed out by a coach or made a big mistake, uh, going over and, and and picking them up. That's what leaders do. They lead by example. They help others when others are in need. They push people when others are in need, and they come up big in big moments um, when when either the team's on the ropes and they see that they, you know they need to pull everybody together, so have a talk. Uh, when they when the game's on the line, they they step it up uh, verbally and and push themselves and maybe make something happen. Uh, to me, those are leaders. The leader and, and it's it's an example. And uh, I see a lot of student athletes that cheer. They think they're a leader because they're the rah rah rah, and they're not necessarily the leader. Uh, they want that role, but they haven't proven it day in day out. They haven't weathered storms. They haven't 
shown over a period of time that they're going to be there day in, day out, and do all the right things on and off the field, say all the right things on and off the field, maybe saying something to the to you as a coach, but they're not saying that to their teammates. And it always comes back. So I think leadership is, is someone that, that, and there's so many qualities with leadership, but somebody that, that, that does it daily, that shows it, display, displays it daily. And then if they have the communication aspect, that's great too but uh, is daily trying to do the right thing with the team. Um, let's, let's, uh, I want to talk about leadership in, a, in the youth sports uh, uh, area. You know, at Positive Coach Lines, we have a, a, our slogan is better athletes, better people. What can uh, those youth sports leaders do to, to help develop better athletes and better people? Oh, there's so much. I, I think that's one of the biggest areas for me right now, the leadership in those areas. The leadership in those uh, positions uh, for me at this time I think is critical, and I think there are some great ones. Uh, as you know, they're volunteers, and as you know, they have lives as well. They could have you know kids playing multiple sports on multiple teams and and and, and just and working full time, <laughs> and it could be two jobs and still doing this. They're multitasking as well. All these regional commissioners, all these people that are involved. Are I understand clearly their lives lifestyle. They live at the field, and so uh, I think it's really important that they delegate properly, that they continue to have education involved in their organization, continuing education from local resources. And I think this is huge. The local high school coach, as long as they're reputable, the local college coach, as long as they're reputable. Um, somebody that's been screened, you know, like um, college coaches have to go through usually a screening process at the university to be hired by a university. So someone that has been through an interview process, a major interview process, a major screening process that can come and, dis- and, and, and talk about some of the things that we've talked about today um, to their organization and speak well um, or tap into their national organization and, and ask and demand for um, more of that coaching education or training of their coaches it's something that i think is critical the delegation of responsibilities uh, engaging their organization and their volunteers clearly giving them defined roles uh, continuing to add coaching education to their to their arsenal training coaches the aspects of sports such as you're doing outside of just playing the game and the technical side, the mental side. You know, what what do we do with the kids? They're growing up. They're teenagers. They're now having different issues, and we have to be able to train, teach them about life lessons. So I think that um, that's that's part of their responsibility, part of these taking the role. Taking that role is a big responsibility. And I don't know that all of them understand how big of a role it is until they're actually in it. And when they're in it, they're just trying to manage day-to-day. So um, I think making it clear to when people take those roles that there is so much more that they have to, we have to do. You know, that's, that's, um, that's really insightful, George. I think um, if we think about the impact sports has on kids and can have on kids, and you know, t- not just as making them better athletes but better, better people as well, I think you could make a case, I would make the case, that youth sports leaders are some of the most important leaders in our whole country, but they don't necessarily get seen that way. 
Yeah, I agree. I think they are. I think that I've always said that teachers, you know, we've just seen it firsthand at in kindergarten and pre-kindergarten are some of the most valuable people we have in our kids' lives. They're shaping our kids from day one. Yeah. Besides the parents, those people are so valuable. And and then the youth sports, the introductory. We 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 put we tend to put the most experienced coaches with our older kids. Well, we need some of our most experienced coaches with our youngest kids at the grassroots level that are also good with kids. Some of them obviously are more intense. They would not be good with little ones. But people that have a great way, a great personality with little ones and are seasoned veterans of coaching should be teaching our youngest kids because of the impact they will have throughout their lives. It's the yeah. first impression. And it's and it and, and instead of not only it's I think one of the things that I tell a lot of coaches at coaching clinics and and I've taught, you know, sessions for I don't know how many years now, um is that I, I learned the game. I learned to love the game before I learned the game from my father. We would go to the park and just play before I was on any organized team. From what I recall, before I was on any YMCA team, that's where we started. Um, I remember him going to the park and saying, just try to, you know, let's kick the ball around. Let's kick the ball around or take the ball from me. And that's what we did. That was. Those are some of my fondest memories. And there was no structure. There was no referees. I think that uh, that that's the impression that that uh, at the entry level, at the grassroots level, the impression that our teachers make on kids lasts a lifetime, and all their beliefs and their and their love of the game and their involvement in sports and their involvement in, in participating in things and volunteering starts at a very young age. Yeah, that's great. Um, you've been involved with soccer in the U.S. for a long time. Um, how would you characterize? Uh, the soccer community and the culture around soccer in the U.S. over all these years. How, uh, just talk about the the development of the soccer community and culture. We we have a real different culture. Our our soccer community is fragmented. We have so many different national organizations. It would be nice to see us, and we're working at it, come together even more. This is one of the most unique places where. You have a guy that's involved, and I cross over into all these organizations, and I'm not. Um, and and it's easy. It's very easy for me because I'm grounded in the fact that I want kids to love the game, the parents to take more responsibility in teaching the game. To our children better, and so that's where that's where my heart is, and I think that if if all of our organizations um, in this country, and we're we're doing we're doing U.S. Soccer is really attempting to do that now is bringing us all together more, and instead of being fragmented, I think it, it'll be better for our youth. We have a different set of rules uh, in high school. We have a different set of rules in. In, in some club scenarios, we have a different set of rules in AYSO, uh, and FIFA has different rules. So, you know, that's one area. That's one, you know, that's just one thing that is different. So we have a soccer community that is, uh, and culture that is growing tremendously.
tremendously. All the studies are proving right now that it is the fastest, it continues to be the fastest growing youth sport. And you look at the numbers and it, they're not, it's not hidden from our large networks that they're buying now these, these uh, games, these Premier League games and, and investing in World Cups and investing in all these different soccer events it's not a secret that soccer has grown tremendously when we're getting 40-some thousand people at games. When wow. we're getting over 10,000 people at college games, in some cases outdrawing the college basketball Division One teams, there's something going on here. And it's, it's really been going on behind the scenes for years. The culture is, is becoming more savvy. We have more parents that have played. We are playing, there's more people playing soccer than ever before. Um, it's one of the fastest growing sports. There has numbers have dropped in a lot of sports, but soccer has continued to maintain, uh, for the most part, um, good numbers. And uh, the culture continues to be driven by the market. And the market is, you know, the club scene has turned into a monster. And uh, in, in in many ways, it's very good. In many ways, it's it's been very difficult because there's been no no uh, reeling in of the, of those monsters is you know they they just they're their own business so um it it's a very fragmented community um in many respects and uh as i said i think that we've we've lost some of the purity of high school sports um because kids are saying not to play being told not to play on their high school teams and and that, to me that's sad because most of those kids will not play professionally and now they've lost that opportunity to play with their friends that they grew up with. So I would like to see us get back to some of the values that we've had for many years. You know, kids playing with kids that, that, that are their friends. I think we will have less issues, less problems. And um, still, while maintaining a better training for our, our elite, which I know that's our national organization's goal, is to compete better at the international level in World Cups and Youth World Cups for those 18 players. Uh, but for the rest of us, for the rest of the kids out there, um, I, I want to still see the game be a great experience in our culture. What you learn is you can only take care of what we can take care of right now and try to make the organizations that we're involved with better so that parents will see that. Yep. Um, George, this has been great. One last question. Looking back on your career, what, what brings you the greatest pride? see a child smile. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I was at a session and I, I was um, watching one of the coaches at the course run a session. That and we had so we had had training and and then I'm watching this young coach coach this group and the kids were all smiling and they'd been on the field for a lot of hours helping demonstrating and uh, I said to the coaches I said these are kids that have been out here most of the day and they're still smiling. That's a sign of a good coach, and that makes my heart warm, makes me feel good. When you see kids that still love the game and that are having fun and uh, are growing, and then you see them transform into that adult, their parent, and they're still contacting you. They're emailing you. They're, they're reaching out saying, I have kids now, and this is what I'm doing. I learned this from you know, my experience, and that, that's the most rewarding part of what we do, of what I do. 
you know, when you, when your kid gets a really good coach, it just seems like the most wonderful thing in the world. Uh, so I, I agree with you on that. George, this has been, uh, been a real pleasure, and thank you for taking the time. Uh, a whole bunch of people are going to be listening to this um, podcast and, and learning from you, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. To learn more about Responsible Sports, including downloading valuable tools on a mastery approach to youth sports that includes creating a commitment to learning, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find helpful Responsible Sport parenting and Responsible Coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.